0: Welcome to Global Trade Talks, brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. Our hosts, Nicole Simonian and Ambassador Robert Holliman, share brief perspectives on key global issues in international trade, current events, business law, and public policy as they impact our lives.
1: Our guests today are D.J. Wolf and Carlton Green. D.J. is a partner and attorney at Kroll & Mooring's Washington, D.C. and London office, as well as a director with CNM International, the firm's trade policy affiliate. He practices in Kroll's International Trade Group, focusing on U.S. economic sanctions and export controls. Perhaps most relevant to today's show, he splits his time between Washington and London, working with European clients to provide coordinated guidance on sanctions, compliance, and enforcement. We are also joined by Carlton Green. Carlton is a partner at Kroll & Mooring. He's the chair of the Financial Services Group and a member of our international trade group. He provides strategic advice to clients on U.S. economic sanctions and is the former chief counsel of FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Before, he previously served as the assistant director for international threats with the U.S. Department of Treasury of Foreign Assets Control, where he directed investigations for more than 15 U.S. economic sanctions programs. We are honored to have them both with us today to discuss the unprecedented sanctions levied against Russia. Carlton and DJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th of this year, we've seen the announcement of coordinated sanctions and actions from the US and the European Union, as well as over 30 countries in instituting sanctions on Russia. Many of these started with Russia's original annexation of Crimea, but many other countries, including Singapore and New Zealand, instituted sanctions for the first time following the commencement of the invasion. DJ, what are you seeing from a sanctions perspective?
2: Thank you, Nicole and and Robert. It's a real pleasure to be with you both today. This is really unprecedented. We have never seen sanctions move this quickly with this level of material impact on global supply chains from this many sanctioning actors. It's For the first time, it's not just the US, but as to your point, it's the EU, it's the UK, it's Canada, Australia, Japan. And so what we're seeing is everyone is impacted. It does not matter what exposure you thought you had to Russia everyone up and down the supply chain, every industry sector is um, rapidly trying to figure out exposure. And that hasn't been changing over the course of the last six weeks now because the sanctions keep changing. Every morning we wake up and it's a new alert from whether it's the Brits this time or the Europeans this time or the Canadians this time, something new has moved the needle on the well-crafted plan you had yesterday for balancing compliance. Now you've gotta go back to the drawing book.
0: Yeah, this is Carlton. I would totally agree with that. The only thing that even begins to compare in my mind is the, the run-up to sanctions on Iran that led to the JCPOA. And I think this in many ways exceeds it. In terms of the number of countries, as DJ mentioned, the rapidity of sanctions, how fast they're putting stuff out, the breadth and scope of what they're putting out, and how unified all the different jurisdictions are that are putting these sanctions out. And, and in particular, I think with the EU and UK, they have been just especially active and taking a lot of initiative. And in many cases, going beyond what the US, the the traditional sanctions kind of powerhouse people think of, you know, is doing. And so one of the things we're seeing is how many of our clients are having to really pay very close attention, more than they might have in the past to EU and UK sanctions, when they're thinking about how they structured their business internationally. So that's been new. And then I'll just mention one other revelation, which is the, just the extent to which Russian money permeates the, the finance world. That's been one of the other kind of discoveries or takeaways from this is how much Russian capital has kind of found its way into investing, into lending arrangements, and it kind of showing up in all kinds of different places in unexpected ways. And so the, the sanctions on the oligarchs is, is a really fascinating aspect of this. And has far-reaching consequences.
3: Carlton, you're a former US Treasury Department um, official and attorney. What's your sense of how this is all rolling out in terms of the coordination uh, between governments uh, as
0: they do this? I, I've been really impressed by it. I think the rapidity, uh, you know, as DJ mentioned too, how fast they're putting these things out, they came up with a really strong set of great, you know, graduated measures to turn up the heat you know, quickly, consistently, and, and pr- in a pretty well-organized fashion. And they, you know, they've taken some creative steps, you know, blending, blocking traditional kind of blocking sanctions, sectoral sanctions related to uh, Russian debt and equity, uh, sanctions on correspondent accounts, and preventing US financial institutions from holding accounts for certain Russian entities. And then, you know, the limitations on new investment, you know, export controls, like it's just been a, it's been a very broad spectrum. It's been very calibrated. They planned the escalation and they managed to launch it all quite quickly. So it's, it's been, a, I think a really impressive effort. It's been a, you know, a struggle for lawyers to keep up with who are trying to advise their clients and, and even more of the struggle for the clients themselves who are seeing a lot of longstanding trade relationships and supply chain relationships get disrupted.
3: TJ, a question for you. Where do you think we're going with all of this?
2: Thanks, Robert. If I knew that perfectly, I think we'd all be rich men. But best guess, I completely agree with Carlton. Where we've been is, is likely where we're heading. It appears to be a intentional approach from policymakers rather than taking a, what was honestly what we did historically. There was a foreign policy event and then here's a raft of sanctions. And now we're all going to stand back and see if it works for several weeks, several months. Here, it's very much seeming that they're intending to be graduated i'm going to give you a set of sanctions back to the drawing board what what do we have now what what else is in the, the toolbox another set of sanctions back to the drawing board and so i would continue to expect new rounds of escalation particularly as it appears that there may be a, a renewed russian onslaught in the eastern ukraine and so it may not be every day like it was in the February 24th through March 7th or 8th time period, but certainly been keeping up with a pace of US, UK allies once a week, which means clients as they're looking at this have really been thinking about first managing compliance. And often that question was at the beginning, I have ongoing business in Russia. How do I make, uh, keep up with the flow of sanctions? Now for many of those clients that shifted to I'm actually trying to stop or wind down or suspend, or I've announced one of those steps. And I'm still trying to manage my indirect exposure because having my CEO announce that we're out of Russia is not the same as actually being out of Russia. And so managing those risks from a sanctions perspective, and ultimately a number of other perspectives that I think we'll talk about a little later, uh, will be the name of the game for the next few weeks and likely months.
1: On that note, how prepared were companies when these actions started to roll out?
2: Not. I think there was some previewing. I can remember fielding questions in January and February where the writing seemed to be on the wall that if Russia invades the Western allied countries, the G7 and and related countries had said, we're going to sanction. And a number of clients coming to us and saying, what can we do to prepare? And the answer was not much because we don't really know how bad this is going to be. Is it going to be designation of a couple of people? Or is it going to be what is looking more and more like a uh we're heading towards a complete embargo and so when we started to see those actions on february 24th and thereafter i for one but i think many of our clients were taken by surprise at the severity and material consequence of those actions and have been scrambling to keep up i don't know carlton if you've had a similar perspective
0: yeah i think that's a right on observation and and i think we did have some of the larger or some of the more sophisticated clients you know, start thinking about what might come down the pike. But I agree with DJ, even all, us working together with them, trying to anticipate what might have come, I don't think anticipated the, the severity of the sanctions and, and how quickly they would ramp up. But the other thing I th- think we are seeing that, or that I've seen a lot of is people coming to us who traditionally haven't thought much about sanctions. And are now having to think about it just because of the severity. It's driven a lot of people who who weren't really thinking about sanctions before it wasn't really on their radar as a legal issue that their corporate GCs needed to worry about, are kind of flocking in, trying to think, gosh, what do I need to do about this? And and that's that's to me one of the really interesting features of this. I I just don't think I had a grasp for the size of the Russian economy, you know, as a measure of the global share and, and how much it permeates so much, so much business that even that that doesn't you don't think of as really relating to Russia, and so we've got all kinds of you know U.S. companies that are finding that they've got vendors or contractors that are in Ukraine in some of the regions that have been subjected to uh, jurisdictional sanctions, or that they're you know they have some operations in Russia that are impacted by this in ways they hadn't foreseen. So it's not just the existing ones kind of being surprised by the ferocity of the sanctions, but it's also a lot of companies that are discovering sanctions problems for the first time.
1: And that's just a natural flow. I mean, there's an impact. And I guess if you just want to both just speak to the impact that this is having on global supply chains.
2: Yeah, I'll start and Carlton, please jump in, but massive, Nicole. This is, if if we step back for a second, think about where we were in middle of February to where we are now, relatively two months later, For all intents and purposes, we have G7 policymakers have more or less removed the world's 11th largest supply economy from this global supply chain. It's not a full embargo. There's not a full prohibition on doing activity. But when you overlay the one-way ratchet of sanctions that Carlton was talking about earlier with the commercial response that you have seen from many companies that goes above and beyond what is legally required, for all intents and purposes, stuff going to and from Russia is now a no-go for many companies. And that's just reverberating. So we've all been buried on the sanctions side, managing the day-to-day compliance. You've got import restrictions into the UK, the EU, the US, other jurisdictions as well. So anybody who has a supply chain relationship, even indirectly with Russia has been monitoring that on the outbound side, you've got a huge amount of new export controls getting to the point where just this morning, I'm fielding questions from clients where we're likely going to have to do an export control license application for the fluff that goes into diapers. It's that level of control now on stuff going outbound. And so all of your supply chain lawyers are managing. Ultimately, everybody's going to sort of be monitoring these risks down the chain for, for months to come when it gets past this initial surge of, compliance and gets into what are the risks associated with we just broke a bunch of contracts we now need new sourcing for this product we need new customer set for this product i mean we're seeing it in pricing data and inflation data in the us right now in the energy markets but you're likely to see those indirect hits to to prices across a number of other markets as we as we move forward
0: and just to add on a couple of them i mean the the impact on supply chains i think is really exacerbated here by the fact that you've got so many different jurisdictions that are imposing restrictions by the fact, as DJ mentioned, that there there are multiple kinds of restrictions. They are economic sanctions, they're export controls, they're import restrictions. And so companies that are trying to assess, you know, that have a global supply chain are really having to have full spectrum advice, legal advice, right? They really need a team that can cover all those areas simultaneously. And then the other thing I think DJ mentioned that I, I really agree with is that because this stuff is evolving so rapidly and it's across multiple different countries and multiple different disciplines, you know, we've got a lot of clients that are want are looking for like daily updates. And we're I mean it it just makes sense, right? This stuff is changing almost every day. And so we've got a number of clients we're just providing a daily or weekly or whatever they want, you know, summary of Here's what changed just in the last you know twenty four hours on all these different fronts. and it's you know it's changing a lot. And then I think the last thing I just wanted to kind of agree on is that a lot of people I think, are finding that the contractual language they had in place was not up to snuff. That's been one of the lessons of this, is that people are going back and saying, well, wait a minute, okay, sanctions now prohibits me from complying with my obligations under agreements I had with vendors or suppliers or, you know, or customers, but I didn't have strong enough language, sanctioned language to excuse my performance if sanctions prevent it. And so that's an issue. And we're seeing, you know, we're we're working with a number of our clients to try and help them get stronger language in place so that if this finds its way into their commercial activity in other respects, as the sanctions get tighter, that they're prepared for that.
3: EJ and Carlton, a follow-up question for you. Are there any broader legal implications that you foresee?
2: Yeah, I think Carlton really started to preview this and his answer just there. A lot of it in the first order impact is on the contract side. So again, we on the sanctions lawyer side have been 24 seven for almost two months now. There will come a point in time in which the day-to-day compliance gets a little bit easier, but then people are gonna be monitoring, okay, what did we just do? Because we have seen, and I think in the first instance, it's probably contracts. So it's that force majeure language. It's the decision by the business leadership that's, or the company leadership that says I'm out of Russia regardless. So make it happen. And people terminate and they make it happen. then you go back and look and realize that your contract language might not let you do that. Maybe you have language that says, if it's illegal, fine, you can terminate. What we're seeing is in a lot of cases, you had contracts that were with parties that might pose a risk of sanctions. Maybe they're minority owned by a sanctioned party. Maybe there's some press report out there that the oligarch sitting behind it is sanctioned by the Europeans, but you can't prove it, So, you, but you don't want to touch it. Or may, maybe it's actually just, this isn't sanctioned at all, but I want out of Russia, period, full stop. And I don't have a contractual basis for doing that, but I'm terminating anyway. Now all of a sudden you've got breach of contract claims. And we've seen what sort of jokingly looks like a, you know, antitrust violation from the Russian oligarchs who appear to all meet every night and agree on their responses the next for the the next day because the notices of breach you see from companies that are pushing back and saying you've terminated and didn't have the right to do that. I'm notifying you that we have a breach of contract claim, and we haven't started to see those claims. At least I haven't seen those claims actually go to court yet, but I very strongly expect them to do so in the near future and for the foreseeable several years and we can look at the 2018 designations from the u.s as an example where in april 2018 the u.s designated six oligarchs and that reverberated through the supply chain for a year plus including one of those oligarchs victor vexelberg in particular who sued a number of his uh, financial institution partners who had tried to terminate relationships and one breach of contract claims against them because Even though he was sanctioned, the contract in question, the lending agreement in question, the financial document in question, didn't have a provision for those banks to get out. And I think a lot of the oligarchs will look to that and say, OK, I'm going to try and bring my claims, whether it's in London court arbitration or more likely in Russian local court, where it's our understanding that the Russians have passed legislation that those types of claims, regardless of choice of law clause in the contract, will be adjudicated in Russian court. So I think in the first instance it's breach of contract claims. I don't know Carlton, other derivative legal impacts you're looking for?
0: Yeah, those are great points. I, so I, I do think we're seeing some really interesting legal implications. And let's start with the one that DJ mentioned about oligarchs, because that's I think it's a really good point. Like one of the things that's different about the designation of these oligarchs who have these very substantial kind of corporate empire and, and great wealth is that they, you know, they're well lawyered right? And, and so they will enforce their rights. And so that makes things very difficult. And I think we're going to see increasing difficulty on that as more get designated. But then the other thing you have to keep in mind is that the EU and the UK are ahead of the US in the number of oligarchs that they've designated. And I think what I have kind of... From what I've heard, I think the U.S. And, and what you would expect is the U.S. is going to be trying to catch up on those designations. And so it's just going to get more and more of these situations where you have to look at your agreement and you've got these very indirect ownership interests that you're going to try to have to parse and see if you've got the ability to call a default on the agreement and you're going to get sued and you have it pressure tested. If you're if you're wrong, you can't make it out. And then you've got the regulator on the other side. The other big thing I see coming out is that I think is really interesting is that is that it's it's really causing the EU and UK in particular to further develop their legal their legal sanctions regimes. You know they they have just not been as as vigorous about interpreting their sanctions and enforcing their sanctions as the US has in the past. Um, and as a result, you know there were a lot of kind of legal questions that were left un, undecided. And, and just to give you one example of that, that that I think has been particularly on of interest to me, and it's been a big issue in my practice is, is this question of aggregating the ownership interests of sanctioned parties, right? So if you've got a a group of oligarchs and each one owns 25% of a company, but none of them owns more than 50%, do you treat that company as sanctioned? And, And so we're seeing the EU, we're seeing UK, and we're seeing EU member states come out with guidance to address these kinds of questions that they, didn't, they weren't really under pressure to do before. And we're also seeing them um, starting to get, I think, starting to be a little bit nervous about the impact of these sanctions on all the downstream businesses that these oligarchs were invested in or otherwise supporting. And so we're seeing them, in some cases, take steps to limit the impact of sanctions on those downstream operating companies. And, and that, that's an intriguing trend from a foreign policy standpoint because it could affect the, the effectiveness of the sanctions against some of these entities and so i think you're going to see europe and the uk at least and i'm sure other jurisdictions trying to strike a balance between effective sanctions on the one hand and you know not wrecking their important economic actors in their economies on the other
1: so this seems a bit of a broad question and we've covered so much is there anything else you would like to touch upon as we conclude
2: thanks nicole i think just the final point here is this is back to where we started this is not going to just be a today or tomorrow problem regardless of how the crisis in ukraine plays out this will be with us for months and likely years as everybody works to clean up the reverberations from us on the compliance side we haven't even begun to see the beginning of what will end up becoming enforcement the decisions that companies are making over the course of the last six weeks and the coming six weeks will be reviewed retrospectively by the relevant regulators to see whether we got it right And that often takes months if not years for the regulators to come and ask those questions those contract claims i think will take years we didn't even mention things from insurance risks to cyber risks to we've seen even government contract questions we've seen labor and employment questions i think unfortunately uh, when we're all doing our 2023 business plans the ukraine crisis will very much be a part of them
0: yeah i think that's right and you know the the other thing too is that. I, I mean, from a foreign policy standpoint, it doesn't seem like we're headed towards any kind of negotiated resolution anytime soon. And as much as the sanctions seem really severe now, there's plenty of room for them to expand. I mean, I, you know, sanctions folks can recall the secondary sanctions that we had under the Iranian sanctions regime and how how big an impact those had. And, you know, who knows where we'll end up here, um, but there's plenty of room for escalation in ways that could really affect the global economy. So I think folks need to stay tuned, and and really this is a good time to get your sanctions infrastructure within your company in shape. This is not a blip, uh, as DJ says, and so folks should really be thinking about what they can do to kind of put themselves in position to get this information as it comes in, be ready to act on it, and if you can at all, anticipate it.
3: Thank you, Carlton and DJ, for joining us in this conversation. We appreciate all the great work you are doing on this important issue for our clients and our firm. Nicole and I wish to thank you for being our guest today, and we look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Thanks so much for the chance
0: to be part of this. It's what a great opportunity. Thanks for listening to Global Trade Talks, brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. You can access more information about our guests today in our show notes or at kroll.com slash talks. You can find all our episodes and subscribe to our series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.